Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to Renaissance. It is great to see all of you. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I think I have an encouraging uh, word to share with you today. It sounds like a very churchy thing to say. It's You come to church and the, the guy with the face mic gets up here and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. Um, but I think I do. I, I think I do. I don't, I don't say that flippantly. I've been earnestly in prayer. Um, even after my nap this afternoon. Anybody get a nap this afternoon? He is risen. Yes. Even, even after my nap today and I came back early, um, going through my notes, uh, I, I preached this message this morning, and I just, I just wrote down some things that, um, that I didn't mention maybe in the first couple services, just some things that popped into my head. So uh, all that to say is I think God does want to say something to us tonight. I think maybe more the question is not whether or not God would desire to speak to us. I think all through Scripture we see God as a proactive God who's always reaching out towards his people, going to where his uh, people are. We read that all the time in the Bible. The question is not whether or not he's speaking to us, whether he's reaching out to us, whether he's trying to find us. It's whether or not we're listening. It's whether or not we're receptive. It's whether or not we're allowing ourselves to be found. It's whether or not we're letting God have his way in our life. So I, I think maybe then the, the proper posture then for us is, to, is to, to seriously consider, do you want to hear from God tonight? I'm not trying to upsell this. Like, I don't give a rip, honestly. I don't. But I'm telling you, there have been marked moments in my life when, when God met me where I wanted to be met, and I received him because I was willing to listen to him. I was willing to hear from him, willing to say, yes, Lord, you can lord this over my life. The first, the song we just finished singing, we, we sing, God, you're over everything. But is he? Is he? Yeah, he's over my finances. I tithe. <laughs> he's over my this. He's over my that. But I'm telling you, when, when you have fear and trepidation, it's just a, it's just a, it's the barometer that there's places in your life that the Lord isn't Lord over, that Jesus isn't Lord over. The one command that we come to in the Bible all through scripture is fear not, do not fear. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's in fact a command from the Lord. Don't fear. And standing in a place of fear, anxiety, trepidation, whatever language you want to put on it, it just means there's a place in your life that God isn't in control of, that you haven't relented released control for the Lord to have that place. It's a challenge, I know. I remember last week talking to a friend of mine, um, and we were talking about, <laughs> here we go. We were talking about the, the generation um, behind us, you know, the millennials or the next, I guess I'm a millennial. Who was the generation behind? I have no idea. But the, just thank you. Try, try to... <laughs> Try not to talk while I'm talking, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, okay, the, I don't want to just say the 20s, but like the 20-year-old, like a lot of y'all right here, right here, right? You know, some younger people here? Yes. 
And um, I remember thinking, um, as I was talking to my friend, that, that it would be very hard to be in your 20s right now trying to navigate life. And we, it was easy for us to maybe be a little critical of that generation. Like, this, this generation just doesn't get it. That's the sort of thing you say the older you get. But I got to be honest with you, I had some time to consider my own life. When I was in my 20s, as much as I thought I had it together, guess what? I didn't have it together. In fact, I'm convinced there was a generation above me saying, those 20-year-olds have no idea what they're doing. And a lot of heads are nodding on that one, too. I was... Uh, uh, 22 years old. I'm a recent college graduate. I just graduated college. Took me five years. Don't judge. Graduate, moved back home. I'm working um, a job, but I'm not working a job in my field that I studied. I'm driving a fork truck for a living. I'm in a warehouse, and I'm sure my parents who are here tonight were questioning, was that the best spend of 80 grand that we could have done? <laughs> like, we send him off to college, and he comes back and gets a job driving a fork truck. Not that there's anything wrong with the work. I, I love the work. It was just should, did we have to spend the money? And I remember just looking out into the horizon of my life and seeing opportunity and opportunity and opportunity, almost being overwhelmed with what life could look like for me. Young and single with a college degree. I mean, it could have been anything for me. And I was just struggling getting going in life. Now, I'm a, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, I think. Anyways, if anybody knows what the Enneagram is, it means I'm a peacemaker. It's like I love everyone to be in one accord. I want everyone to have unity and in my unhealthy state, what that means for me is I, I struggle making decisions. I want everyone to get along. So in my mind, if, if I say yes to A, I'm saying no to B, and B gets upset. If I say yes to B, A gets upset. And it's very troubling for me. So I found myself stuck. And in my mid-20s, I met two people that changed my life forever. I met a, a really smoking hot girl named Stacy. I married her. She's my wife. And we've been married 23 years. And the same year that I met Stacy, I met Jesus. And I'm telling you, when I met those two people, the, the horizon of options for my life just narrowed a, a little bit. All of a sudden, now it's not I can do anything, but I desire to be married. I desire to have a spouse. I desire to serve and protect and honor and love and do all those things. And now, I found something in my life that mattered, and all of a sudden, my priorities in life began to be directed towards that which mattered to me, my wife, Stacy. And the same is true for Jesus. All of the things in my life up to that point that I thought mattered to me, I began to realize just didn't matter that much. With what I understand about Jesus and his desire for me, it it changed my perspective on what life looks like. It changed everything for me. It gave me direction. It gave me the ability to say yes and no to things. Like if I'm chasing after the Lord and Jesus and his desire for my life, and I get this opportunity to do something over here, and I know that it's not going to draw me closer to him, the easy answer is no, I'm not going to do it. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? So when you, when you know and have realized that thing that matters most to you, it's so much easier to prioritize your life around those things. Tonight, I think the Lord wants to talk to you about your priorities. That's the issue. And, and hear me, not what you say is your priority. But what is your priority? See, I think many of us, for a long time, we know the language to use 
around others so that they think we have it all together, yes? We polish ourselves with veneer and make ourselves look spotless and clean and all this good Christian young people or whatever. And yet our lives don't look like that when no one's watching, yes? So um, what does, what is the thing in your life that matters most to you? Now the Bible is filled with stories of men and women who have made their main thing the Lord and the things of God in their life. And they've become for us an example on what it looks like to be a man or a woman with something that matters that we're driving towards and how to live a life with priorities. And it causes us, if we look at the scripture and follow these men and women, it causes us to see all of them were willing to sacrifice things on behalf of the thing that mattered the most to them. And I think that's the example that we're going to read about today. If you have a Bible with you, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be reading the words of Paul, an apostle. And if there's anything we know about Paul, the one thing that mattered the most to him is that there would be no... His greatest desire would be to find people who are far away from God and reconcile them to God through Jesus Christ. That was Paul's main mission. He was an apostle. He went around the known world at that time, planting churches, sharing the gospel so that people who didn't know God could know God. That was his one thing. And he lived his life towards that direction always and forever at great cost to him too, we might add. Paul's life, his story that reads like a Hollywood movie. I mean, it's it's crazy. He, He was shipwrecked at one point. I mean, literally on a ship that wrecked, almost drowned for the sake of the gospel. I mean, there's a priority in his life that he's willing to risk even his life. He got stoned once, the bad kind, with rocks. (laughs) Now you're wondering, does he really think the good kind is the other? (laughs) Don't get lost in the weeds, y'all. Come on now. <laughs> no, he, he would put his own life at, at risk for this that mattered the most. Willing to sacrifice his own health. We believe at one point that Paul was married. We don't know whether he was divorced or his wife left him, or if he was widowed or if his wife left him because of his Christian faith. Some believe that his wife left him when he professed his faith in Jesus. It cost him a lot. Our, our lives as Christians should cost us. It just should. It's, it's just the call to be a Christian. And it's difficult to do that. So we look at Paul's life as a great example of what it looks like to follow after the Lord. He is uh, writing a letter, as we've been studying these past few weeks, to the church that's in Corinth. There are Christians there, brothers and sisters in Christ, he would call them, and there are people that have come to faith because of him. He went to Corinth, and he he preached the gospel and they came to faith there and a little church was started there and they were living in a way that Paul didn't think was the appropriate way to live as a Christian. So he rebuked them for that. He, one of the things that was primarily on his agenda was to address them about going to the pagan temples in the city. They were still going to some of the, the pagan temples and participating in the feasts at the temple. And he just told them, knock it off. You just shouldn't do that. And they wrote back to him and they argued their case. And they said things like, listen, those temples 
don't matter. Those idols that they worship are fake. It doesn't matter. The food doesn't bring us closer to God or not closer to God. We know the right things, Paul. So we would like to continue to eat at these temples. And he says, that's fine. Your theology is correct. What you know about God is true. Those idols are in fact fake and, and it is just food. It doesn't matter. But what you're doing, unfortunately, is you're causing younger brothers and sisters to trip, to stumble. You're putting an obstacle between them and Jesus. And you shouldn't do that. And Paul lived his life in such a way that he wanted to remove all obstacles at all costs so that others could know who Jesus was. And he rebukes them for that. He starts here in verse 9, beginning to defend some who are even arguing that he's not an apostle at all. He, he's been questioned. His apostleship is being questioned. And check this. It's being questioned because he won't take money from them. <laughs> Isn't it the strangest thing? All the other apostles that come through take money. All the other philosophers that come through, they let us support them. They live high on the, the hillside and they let us serve them with food. and this. But for whatever reason, Paul, you don't do that. You work a trade. You build tents. And they thought that was demeaning of an apostle. And because of that, they questioned him. And he gets, I won't say severe in his language, but he comes out of the gate strong against them. And listen to the words that he says here. In verse 1, am I not free? You, you, talk, you spoke of your freedoms that you have in Christ last week about eating foods, sacrifice. You have liberties, sure. You want to talk about who has liberties? I am a free man, he says. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ? Which, so you know, is a requirement to be an apostle. You have to have served with Jesus, seen Jesus personally. He says, I have seen Jesus. And are you not the workmanship in the Lord. He says, now, if to other people, verse 2, that I don't see me as an apostle, he says, at least I should be considered an apostle to you. You are my seal, he says, of my apostleship. You are the proof of my work. You are the proof of what God is doing in my life. You don't exist as a church, he says, had I not listened and obeyed to the Lord and came here and started this church. And now you're questioning whether I'm an apostle? Here's my defense, verse 3, for those who would like to examine me. Do I not have the right to eat and drink? Do I not have the right to take along a believing wife? Some of your English translations say, take along a sister as a wife, which sounds like a TLC show, I'm just saying. <laughs> it just means that Cephas, Peter, has a wife, and He's an apostle and travels, and, and one of the other brothers of the Lord Jesus, James, has a wife, and he's an apostle. He says, I have the right to bring along a wife should I choose. And then lastly, he says, are not Barnabas and I, are we the only ones who have no right to refrain from working for a living? This is the issue. We have the right not to work, but we choose to work, and there's a reason why. We'll get to it in a minute. But these are the things that they're questioning why Paul does these things, and they think that he's not an apostle. And then he begins to argue sort of from this place of common sense. Look what it says here in verse 7. He said, who would serve as a soldier at his own expense? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is nobody. Who would plant a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? The question is, no one would do that. And who would tend a flock without getting some of the milk from that flock? No one would do that. He says, it's absurd to think that these people don't have rights to what they're doing. Here, here's, uh, here's something that struck me when I read that. As Paul is making his defense before people, I love the fact that he doesn't first appeal to Scripture. 
Now, I'm a Bible guy. Any Bible guys, gals in the room that just think the Bible's awesome and it's authoritative? Anyone? <laughs> yes. We... <laughs> I don't know what that means to be a Bible guy, but yes, I believe the Bible to be the word of God. But I love that Paul doesn't start there. And I wonder if you and I would do well to examine some of our own conversations with our friends who aren't believers, right? And when we're talking to them over tacos about the things of God, and instead of saying things like, well, you know, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and your friends are going, Pff. They don't, they don't believe in the Bible anyways. They think it was written by men some couple thousand years ago, right? They don't, it doesn't matter to them. But for Paul, it doesn't stop him from still explaining what's going on. He, he appeals to common sense, and you and I can do the same thing. It just has to, it causes us to think a little bit. Anyways, he appeals to their common sense. He goes, not a, there's no soldier who would sign up for the army and then refuse pay from the army. There's, there's nobody who would plant you know, a vineyard and not eat some of its grapes. No one would tend sheep all summer and not take any of the milk from the, the sheep. or whatever. No one would do that. And he's saying the same thing about himself. He says, I have a right to all of these things. I have a right to receive from you. And he appeals not just to common sense, but he appeals to the Bible. He says, do I say these things on a human authority? No, not just, but the, but the, the law also says the same thing. Look here in verse nine. For it is written in the law of Moses. That would be our Old Testament, if you will. And know this, this was considered by them at the time, the Jewish people at the time, to be the authoritative words of God. This is very much the words of God. Has not God said this already? Has he already not spoken into this issue? He says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now that sounds fun to say, right? Put that on a coffee mug, sell that in a Christian bookstore. <laughs> what, but what does that mean? So when I come to faith, there was all kinds of this Christian stuff that I just didn't understand. And Paul's just saying, listen, back in the day, they would harvest grain, they'd throw it onto this threshing floor, big stone, if you will, and they'd have these big beasts of burden, like oxes. They'd, they'd carry these big stones behind them. They'd walk back and forth, typically in a circular fashion, breaking the husks up from the grain, separating the grain from the husks. And then they would gather that stuff and then produce flour from it or produce food from that. He says, God spoke in Deuteronomy when he took, spoke to the Israel, Israelite people, and he says that you should not ever muzzle the ox or cover its mouth when it's doing the work for you. God speaks of his, first, his care for the animals, right? That's, that's a cool thing. God, God made the animals. He goes, don't abuse the animals when they're working for you. In, the, in like kind, he's saying, as I'm working for you as well, then you should owe me something. He says, we don't muzzle the ox. And he says this, not just for the ox's sake, verse 10, but for our sake. He said that the plowman should plow in hope. I, I agree with that. And the thresher should thresh in hope, yes, of sharing in the crop. And he says, I have sown spiritual things among you. And is it too much if we were to reap material things back from you? Is it too much to ask of everything that we do for you? Is it too much to ask you to give us something? And he says in others, verse 12, they share this rightful claim over you. You're already supporting other apostles. You're already supporting other people. You owe us something. And yet, verse 12, second half, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we would rather endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This is the issue that you and I will face in our lives. 
we can take that which matters most to us and place that on the mantle of our life or the dashboard of our life and, and drive towards it at all times, prioritizing everything towards that. But there's going to come a time when we're going to have to sacrifice for that that you have rights that you'll imagine in your mind or think you honestly have that you have to set aside to attain that which you desire. And Paul understands this. It is his greatest desire that nothing separate anyone from Christ. Whatever it is in his life, he is willing to set it aside. Now, in, in the, the land of the gospel, in the land of evangelism, this is easy for us to see. But what about your life? What about the things that you're thinking about? What if you're not called to be a church planter? What if you're not called to be an evangelist? What if you're just called to finish school? What if you're just called to be a better spouse? What if you're just called to be a better parent? What if you're just called to be a better employee? What if you're just called, what if those are the things that the Lord would waken you up to, to be that which matters most in your life? To attain those things, God would say, then it will cost you something. It just will, it always does. Paul, living as an example for us, says that of all the rights that he has, he would lay them all aside for the sake of that one thing. Are we so quick to do that? I had the uh, opportunity to marry a young couple yesterday. They're 24 and 27. They were wide-eyed and in love. You know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> They're going to make it, right? It's, it's so apparent. I'm like, seriously... They're in love. They, they're driving towards this thing that matters most. They, most. they want to be a spouse to each other. Uh, for two sessions, I met with them for premarital counseling before they got married. And, and the one thing that I kept coming back to as I met with them is, um, you know love's not an emotion, right? It's not feelings. I mean, goosebumps are cool. Tears are great. Oh, heart flutters are wonderful. <laughs> But love is more than that. You know that, right? It's a choice. It's a choice to love. You choose to do these things. And so I would sit with them and I'd talk about what love, look, what love looks like. Paul gives great definitions of it. First Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is all. Right? I'm repeating all this stuff to them, reminding them that it's, it's actions, it's choices that they're making. I take them to the the words of Paul in Ephesians 5, it says that wives should submit to their husbands and husbands should love their wives. And, and everyone's like, ooh, I don't know, man. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, if you, if you want that which matters most, which is to have a long and healthy and lasting marriage for this young couple, I told them it will cost you. Repeatedly, I, I kept telling this young man, I said, Do you, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? <laughs> it's a thing. There'll be days when you feel you have a right to do something and your spouse will say, I don't want you to do that. Or, I'd rather do something else. And you have to lay that thing down. Okay, that's, that's for them and for many of us in the room, that's what matters most. And for others, it's maybe your career. You're going to have to prioritize your life towards that, and it will cost you, and, and, and on and on it goes. And for me, when I became a Christian, it became apparent not long after that, that God desperately wanted to, to show the truth and the love of Jesus to all of my friends that didn't know the Lord. God in his graciousness towards me rescued me out of that place in my life, and all of my friends were still back in that old place, and I ached for them. 
I ached for them. Many of you know I had an issue with drinking. I overdrank too, way too much. The one thing I had to do, I had to separate myself from my friends, which pained me even more. And these are the, my most favorite people in the entirety of the world. I've been running with them for well over a decade, and I have to stop hanging out with them now because I'm destroying the gospel of Jesus in front of them. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Let's get drunk. I love Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. Let's go party. And I had to make this change in my life. I had to sacrifice some things for that which mattered most to me. And it wasn't easy. But God in his graciousness and his kindness towards me were able, he, in, his, in the way that only he could, he was able to bring those two streams of my life back together again at some point. I remember I'd been sober many years and I went back to a bar to go see my friends. They were playing in a, a band at this club and I hadn't been there forever. I remember sitting in the parking lot praying convinced I'm the only one in the parking lot of this bar praying. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I'm going into a place that I said I would never go back to. I'm going in because I love those people like you love them. And I'm going to ask this, Lord, did I not be strange and weird? Did I not be that guy who gets up on a, a stump and begins to decry the things of God? Sinners, sinners, sinners. Repent, repent, repent. Lord, would you allow me to walk in and be their friend again? And so I make this one request, God. I'll go in there and love them, but I will not talk about you unless they bring it up first. That was my one little, like, I'm going to put the Lord in a headlock. and like, okay, whatever, Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's my thing. So fast forward, I go into the place and... Um, Everyone comes up, Fro, Fro. My nickname is Fro. Everybody calls me Fro. What's up? What's up? What's up? And literally have not seen me in years. And everyone's drinking. I'm drinking water. It's awesome. And um, within a minute of having that relationship sort of brought back together, everyone pulls out their wallets. This is before cell phones. But, and they're flipping through family photos. And they're saying, this is my son. I know you haven't seen him in three years. This is my, my daughter. We just had a daughter, whatever. And we're talking about family things. We're doing all this stuff. And then they said, we hear you're going to church now. Tell me about that. And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and so I just, I just had the opportunity. Now, now, God brought those things together again. My love for the Lord, my love for music, and all those things, those things that matter to me, at some point, I had to let some go so I could chase after God. Now, now, God brought those things back together. But it was in his time. It was in his plan. It was the way he wanted to do it. It's easier to do that when you know the thing in your life that matters the most to you. For Paul, it's easy to see. Nothing should separate mankind from God. And whatever's in between there, then I, if it's, it's philosophical thought, I'll address it. If it's issues of pagan worship, I'll address it. If it's my right to receive money from all the people that I serve, I'll address that too. But nothing's going to be a stumbling block between them and Jesus. And they live, he lived his life that way. What an example for us. He says, I'm not going to receive anything from you, verse 12b. He continues, 
verse 13 and 14, kind of making his case again. Do you not know? It's like, okay, we hear you, man. You have a right to things. The temple priests, they get their food from the temple. And the altar, people who serve at the altar, they share in a sacrifice sacrificial offerings, verse 14. In the same way, Jesus himself commanded those who proclaim the gospel that they should get their living from the gospel. If you remember in Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, that Jesus sends out the 72 and he tells them, he says, don't take any food or water with you, man. Go out and proclaim the kingdom of God and they'll feed you for it. He says, they, they'll feed you. You, you are work, worth your work for the gospel. Within verse 15, but again, he says, but I've made no use of these rights. Even though I have them, I'm willing to sacrifice them. And I'm not even writing these things to you to secure any such provision. It's not like this is his opening salvo for a collection all of a sudden. <laughs> okay, now get your wallets ready. You're going to make a faith you know, gift today or whatever, a love offering or whatever we call it in the church. It's none of that stuff. He says, I have a right to everything. And I want you to see, not only do I have a right, I'm willing to lay it down for the sake of other people. I'd rather boast in something else, not in what I've done, but what the Lord is doing. He says in verse 16 here, he says, I preach the gospel, and that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. He speaks of the words of Jesus himself who called him to preach the gospel. He says, I'm compelled to do this. There's nothing else that I can do. He was one of those people who had a word from God that says, this is what your life is going to look like. Out of necessity, I preach the gospel. And I want to boast in that. Verse 17, if I'm doing this of my own will, if it's my choice, then yeah, I should have a reward. Yeah, I should take pay if this is what I want to do, but it's not what's happening. God is commanding me to do this, and I'm willing to do it, and I refuse to take pay because I don't want it to be a stumbling block for anyone else. Which is strange. I have to admit this. I do not understand what Paul is driving at here. We know through Scripture that he planted many other churches, and he took money from those churches. He did, but for some reason in Corinth, he refused. We don't know why. For him, there was something that would separate those far away from God and God in that moment. I don't know, maybe there was an abuse taking place of all the traveling philosophers or the, the other religious people that kind of came through. Maybe they were abusing that privilege or right. And so Paul just said, I, I'm not going to do it. And so on Monday morning after three services, much like today, he got up and went to work at the factory down the street. And because of that, they question his apostleship, and he just rebukes them in that. Now, I want to stop here and just consider um, some words that Paul wrote to another church just down the street from Corinth. All right? So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing similar language to a similar group, if you will, of people about this issue of being a stumbling block or an obstacle. Starting here in verse four, he says, let each one of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is actually yours in Christ Jesus. He says, you have the mind of Christ. And this is what Christ did for us. Check this out. Who, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but Jesus, rather, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. If there's anything we know about this, 
one person, Jesus, if there's anyone who's ever lived on the earth who's worthy of adoration and respect in worship, it's who? Jesus. And yet he was willing to lay all of that aside for that which matters most, that God would have his people back. And he was obedient even to the will of God to death, and not just any death, death on a cross. Even though he was worthy of adoration and worship, he humbled himself and he allowed himself to be mocked and ridiculed and spit upon and made fun of because there was something on the horizon of his life that he knew mattered more than anything else. Paul is not just showing us the example from his life. He points us to Jesus, the ultimate example for our lives. It's costing you. I love you. If it's not costing you, what are you doing? This is not self-flagellation. This is not you. We have to whip ourselves or we're not doing it right. This is not that. I'm telling you, the Lord wants to awaken some of you. You have the facade of a Christian life, and it's not exactly what he intends for you. What do you mean, Jeff? I don't know. I don't know exactly. I mean, I know, but I don't know specifically what he would say to you. But I don't need to. See, this is the great thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is God, dwells amongst us, is in us. In fact, when we give our lives to Jesus, or how, whatever language you want to use that, we have come to faith in Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit becomes a seal or the proof of our salvation. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit begins to lead us into all truth. Now, what does God want to say to you? I don't know specifically, but God does. He wants to address these things in your life. And I know this. It could sound like what I'm addressing here is that you need to try harder, work harder, do more. And I think some of that might be true, but make no mistake, I am not at all intimating that you're doing so to secure your salvation. That your salvation has been made secure in the work that Jesus did. This moment when he was obedient even unto death secured salvation for you and I. But what are you doing with that life, he's asking. Have you had a moment where you found that thing in your life that matters the most to you, and are you prioritizing your life towards that thing? And I'm not always just saying it's got to be a God stuff. It, it, God stuff. it could be family stuff. It could be work stuff. I'm just telling you, that's an example of how you can get refinement in your life, betterment in your life. But I'm also saying God wants to do that stuff in your life in, in the spiritual world as well, like in the things that matter to God. Is that making sense? So, I was, um, I was praying earlier. I, you know, whatever. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Welcome to Renaissance. I never end well. This is typically what it feels like. <laughs> it's, it's like, yay! And everybody just jumps off and is like, see you next week. <laughs> I, I never want to over-prescribe. I love sermons that close and have a cool thing at the end. And there's the three points, you know, when you're at stoplights, make sure you pray for people and you know, all that. I mean, you know, like they give you things to do and I just don't do that. Well, I don't know what it is. 
I don't know. So I, I never try to be too heavy-handed in the application. I just don't. One of the things we love to do at Renaissance is we'll have the band come back up, and they'll play a couple worship songs, and I'll invite you to stand and sing and worship. And we do that intentionally. That's not just because it makes the service flow better. That's an intentional moment. We're asking God to meet with you. We're asking you to take 15 minutes to just posture yourself before the Lord, to wait, to listen, to hear, to sing, to declare the words that we're singing, all these things to be true. And we do that intentionally. So I want us to get to that place. I was walking out here for the nine o'clock service, just ready to walk out. And a guy, uh, a guy, his name is Lynn, I think. He was, help, he was serving back here making coffee. And he says, he says, Jeff, how you doing? You know the small talk that people make? Does it drive you nuts too? Megan, does it drive you nuts? Me and Megan have this thing at work. We're not allowed to ask each other how we're doing because it just sounds so not sincere. But anyway, so he asked me the thing, how you doing? And so I just like, you know what? You don't really care. I'll tell you how I really feel. <laughs> not okay. I don't feel good. I, don't, I feel okay. I'm like, whatever. And this guy's bouncing like he's walking on daisies and everything's perfect in his life. Like I'm secretly judging him. And he's like, what, what, what do you mean you, you're just okay? And I'm like, well, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm sad about some things. And I went through the list of things that, had, that I'd caught word of that morning that had broken my heart. And I, I'm looking at my friend Jack and Nancy who leave tonight to go back to the East Coast and my heart breaks. I love you guys so much. I, um, I said my friend is leaving and I, I felt like I didn't finish well. I felt like I didn't say the things I wanted to say. I didn't get a chance to, to honor them before they, I mean, all this stuff is going on in my life. Um, so before I walked up here today, I looked at you guys and I don't want to embarrass you at all. Too late, right, Nancy? <laughs> Jack, if you don't know, has been our youth pastor here for um, almost two years, year and a half-ish. And he and his wife are moving back to the East Coast-ish to serve in a church out there. It's where they're from, so we're real happy for them to go. Um, and yet it's a, a sorrowful moment for us as well. Jack is a fantabulous pastor. It, no, 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 no. Um, his wife... His wife, maybe even more so. <laughs> so if it's okay with you, I have a minute and 48 seconds left, right? I left myself some time here, wondering if we would be able to do this. So I just want to pray for um, Jack and Nancy. They're going to head out tonight or tomorrow morning tonight. Yeah, crazy kids. They're going to head out tonight and start driving across country. And uh, before, we, before I pray for them and close this, can, will you guys just thank Jack for everything that he's done? And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's fit so well here at the church. We're so glad that he was here. Um, but can we thank Nancy for putting up with Jack for all? I mean, let's be honest. It's Nancy. Nancy's great. She's, 
helped so many people while she's here doing ministry as well. She wasn't on staff, but she did so many things behind the scenes that it shocked you to know. So anyways, I'm glad I had extra time to thank you guys. I love you so very much. Um, we will have opportunities to talk again. And I hope we've at least helped you on your journey while you're here. So God bless you. God bless you. We release you. So let's, let's just pray together and ask God to speak to us about that thing that is most important. That be, we would be bold to prioritize our life towards that and then be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to get there. Is that okay? God, thank you, thank you, thank you. That you are trustworthy, you're perfect in all of your ways. You never change your mind, you're immutable. The desires you have for us are settled, concrete, secure. And so God, we ask that you help us delineate out of all the things in our life that matter, that we would find those that matter the most, prioritize our life towards them, and live our life like Paul and like Jesus, even willing to sacrifice our own rights and comfort for that which matters to us. God, we trust you to lead us into that place of truth and understanding. The application belongs to you. You know the changes that are necessary in all of our lives. And God, we ask you to speak to us. So these next three songs or so, God, we ask you come in a mighty and a profound way and a concrete, I mean, God, I mean, show up tonight, God. I'm really asking you to come. We need you to come. We need you to come and be with us, to challenge us and to push us forward. God, we thank you. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.